Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Before you listen to the podcast, I want to tell you about one of my favorite things in the world, the Lit Teacher Training. Creating this comprehensive teacher training really felt like my life's work compilation, and I hold nothing back. My mission is for everyone to know and understand the whole body, functional movement, and the how and why behind the movement choices we make to feel empowered, transforming your own lives, and sharing that knowledge with others. In the Lit Teacher Training, we investigate the poses and transitions the energy flow through this vessel of our body, and work to move through space with increased precision and fluidity to create more joy and fun. So ask yourself, are you enjoying the life you're living in your body? If you're not fully, there's no better time than now to create new pathways and new opportunities. And with that fresh palette, attempt to emphasize growth and connection rather than accomplishment. Learning how to give people feedback in their bodies so that they retrain their own neural pathways and habitual movement patterns is truly a gift, and you will get that in this training. With both our self-guided and in-real-time virtual experience, the 10-week training is rich in functional anatomy from my background as a physical therapist, methodology, and yogic philosophy through a modern-day lens. Like the hundred of others around the world, you will complete the training with new skills, sound knowledge, and confidence to teach others. And you have access to the training for life. Finally, our Lit Teacher community is vibrant and supportive, and being a part of it is like having all your friends with who you speak the same language with the same passion. So join this experience for reverence of the body as the container of the divine to change your life. Go to LitYogaTraining.com. And I can't wait for you to join our community. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have two friends on with me, two other physical therapists. So it was like a physical therapy coffee talk all the way around. I am so excited to have you here, Becky Keller and Dr. Ashley Newton. 
Ashley is also a lit teacher and is on the lit daily platform. So make sure you check out her classes, all dealing with pelvic health, because both of these wonderful PTs are pelvic health specialists. So we dive deep into all things pelvic health, pelvic floor, issues after pregnancy, issues when you haven't even been pregnant, say like with needing to go to the bathroom or having stress or having a heightened nervous system that impacts your jaw, impacts your pelvic floor, and perhaps makes it weak and not reliable. Nobody wants that, and we really cover how you can help yourself with that. This merges so beautifully with what we do on the Lit Daily platform because if you take our classes, you know the pelvis is the foundation. It is the center of the body, the center of mass, the center of energy exchange, and your posture and the balanced musculature, the balanced neuromotor firing all lead to a happier and healthier pelvis and happier and healthier nervous system. So we merge some of our lit talk in with our discussion today. So please enjoy my talk with Becky and Ashley. Welcome to Friday, friends. I have two wonderful friends with me today, both pelvic health physical therapy specialists. And this is such a topic that everyone needs. I have Ashley Newton and Becky Keller. Keller, And we're going to talk pelvic health. So first, I'd love to know how you both got into this particular specialty. Sure. So hi, this is Ashley Newton. I'm a doctor of physical therapy here in Princeton, New Jersey. I have been a PT since 2017, and I had my first foray into pelvic health pretty immediately out of school um, when I started taking um, a certification program for it. And the reason that I did that was because I've kept finding that my patients were coming in and, you know, complaining about hip pain, complaining about back pain, and then also getting into these issues around sexual health and urinary health. And I just felt at a loss to be able to help them. So I started looking into what was out there, what I wanted to do. And I found that it so seamlessly fused with what I wanted to do as a professional with who I am as a person, that it creates this space for people to talk about topics that have been culturally very taboo, that have not been uh, open to talk about and allows them to heal themselves and have the equipment to do so without feeling shame or any type of judgment. And I just think that is the coolest thing to be able to provide in healthcare is just the power to be able to care for yourself and the language to be able to talk about it. So it is so much so that I feel pelvic health is health equity. It's, you know, my personal philosophical beliefs about um, where I am and social responsibility in this world and helping people to truly live for themselves and be happy and healthy. So I love that. I love that. I love that so much. Hi, <laughs> I'm Becky Keller. Um, I've actually been a physical therapist for, um, feels like a very long time, <laughs> 20 plus years. And I actually started uh, specializing in uh, pelvic health physical therapy about 2009. And um, mine was a little bit more of kind of like uh, curiosity wanting to kind of understand a little bit more of the human body, kind of understanding that sometimes missing piece of the puzzle when it comes to um, 
certainly how the core relates, the whole sacroiliac area. And so I actually took one of my first courses and what kind of prompted me into doing it was a course taught by a pelvic health physical therapist, but she did pediatrics, which is interesting, more of a subspecialty. Uh, it was an SI course, the sacroiliac course. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize that there was this whole realm of, because if we think back in 2009, pelvic health was not as, um, people weren't as aware of it. There weren't uh, resources and ways that you could learn about it as readily as it is now. Um, and so I was like, wow, this is really interesting. And so I certainly wanted to learn a little bit more about my own body. At the time, I was kind of thinking about, well, do I want to have kids and what going to happen with my body when I have children and and all of this stuff. So and, and there was other some other professional uh, career opportunities too. Uh, I was managing a clinic and had hired someone who had experience wanting to then start a program and kind of thinking, wow, this was really a way to start specializing in physical therapy and um, wanted to be able to offer these kinds of services because it is so incredibly needed, as Ashley was saying, in the world. And we don't realize like the amount of uh, people who have pelvic health concerns. Um, it's really, in many ways, uh, millions of people experience things like urinary incontinence, constipation. And it's not just something for, we all have a pelvis, so it's not just for female women's health, but really all genders, you know, across the lifespan. And it's just something that you know, we sometimes don't realize, you know, we don't focus on, we don't even realize that there are services that can be available. So I, I took this course and, you know, it is certainly an interesting way to kind of learn, you know, as physical therapists, we practice on each other. So um, for those listening, pelvic health physical therapy, we get into doing internal assessments. Sometimes I used to say it was like gynecologist met physical therapist. So we're looking at the function, that neuromuscular control control, the myofascial aspect, all the muscles within the pelvic floor, the pelvis, and everything interacting with it too as well. So I then took my first course and like really it was from there. I just was so excited to learn more. Um, and it's really interesting to see the evolution of where we were back then more than a decade ago to where we are now with so many people advocating for it, more awareness, people really understanding that they can get help for a lot of these pelvic health concerns like leaking urine, like pelvic pain, uh, like pelvic organ prolapse, which is that dropping down or descent. So I'm, I'm really, I'm always grateful for the knowledge that I have and how I can really impact someone on such an intimate level, right? On such um, a human body function level. Um, and it's always grateful for that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, there's a lot we could dive into. I know that most people, when they think of pelvic health concerns, are thinking around like after pregnancy or during sex, things hurt or don't feel good. So let's start there, but I know it's a lot more. You don't have to have had a baby to be um, concerned or interested in pelvic health there. And we'll, we'll get to why it's so important for overall function. But starting with after pregnancy, can you explain a little bit what happens after pregnancy that is normal? And then what would be uh, an alert for someone to come and seek professional help from a pelvic PT? So 
lots of things change, okay? So your body goes through tremendous changes on a musculoskeletal aspect, on a postural aspect, on a hormonal aspect, right? And just on a shift in psychosocial emotional aspects within life. So depending on the, the mode of delivery, so depending on how your baby arrives into this world, so whether that's a vaginal delivery, whether that's a cesarean delivery, there's different kinds of, of things that we focus on. There's different kinds of, you know, initial changes that we have. Um, you know, often we say in physical therapy and pelvic health physical therapy that sometimes because the bladder is really affected, the pelvic floor is affected, we think it really lengthens almost three times the length of these muscles for a baby to be born vaginally. So think about that. If we were to lengthen our quad muscle, our thigh muscle, three times the length, and then you're like, oh, walk up a flight of stairs. It's going to be a little difficult, right? So we know that there's some natural over the, the couple weeks, so natural progressions of muscles might feel very weak. You might have had some uh, injury, so obstetric injury, where maybe you had some tearing. You might have had an episiotomy. So there's going to be some natural healing of scars and all of that. So usually by, you know, six to eight weeks, if things like bladder leaking has not improved, definitely seek out some training. Seek out a pelvic-trained physical therapist or occupational therapist, pelvic health clinician. If you are having pain and you've gotten the clearance now from the doctor, they often give it at about six weeks, saying, hey, you can go back to having intercourse. You can go back to all your functional things that you want to do. But you are noticing things like pain. You're noticing things like, yes, I've, I've you know, trying to, you know, something for penetration, right? And it's causing pain seek some help and some guidance with that. We also talk about things like returning back to activity. So often I kind of say, listen, that 12 weeks, it might take a little bit more than that to get back to activity with that. And so there's lots of, of different strengthening exercises. There's lots of different tasks. There's lots of different functional training that you can do to get you to return to maybe running or return to exercise. We also want to start to think about in the very beginning, you know, ways that we're re-coordinating a lot of these core muscles. So again, we think about how much your abdomen changes when you have a baby. And you don't just have one muscle in the abdomen. You have layers of muscle that have to coordinate together. How your rib cage alignment could have changed because, wow, you became so front-loaded. And that rib cage changed its position um, in, in space and over, over the, the pelvis. And so we look a lot about starting to retrain those, retraining the coordination of breathing, the coordination of those core muscles. Diastasis um, or DRA, we often call it, is that that um, weakening or separation in the midline of the abdominal wall. And that can often be a concern uh, for people. We know that it does separate during pregnancy. That's an expected uh, physiologic response. And then they say about 30% of people still continue with that separation. They continue with having that laxity and weakness there. So those are things that we can also address in pelvic health physical therapy. Because why is that important? It's about transferring load. It's about how we pressurize. 
Another thing, too, that people often feel is because of, again, the mode of delivery, that potential of, like, did you bear down a lot to have the baby? What's happening with the organ position? People look down and they take a mirror and they're like, oh, my gosh, my body and physiologically has now changed, right? My whole vulvar area, my perineum has changed. Maybe the organ's sitting a little bit lower. So we see some natural progressions of that improving, but there are things that we can work on in pelvic physical therapy that are going to help with that. Um, one included for what I absolutely love is the low pressure fitness. So hoping we'll talk about that in a little bit. We definitely <laughs> will. I know with my first um, baby, I pushed for a long time, which I think is kind of normal. And I ended up having, um, you know, n- nothing in the vaginal area, but I got, oh my God, what are they called at, at your butt? <laughs> Oh, hemorrhoids. Hemorrhoids, thank you. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, butt. hemorrhoid at the point, yeah. Because, so hemorrhoids are all part of this pelvic area as well. And I remember I called my mom and I was telling her, I was like, oh my gosh, this really hurts when I'm walking or trying to go to the bathroom. And she, of course, delivered triplets. And so she said she had a hemorrhoid and she's like, honey, you just have to push it back up. <laughs> you have to push it back up. It's and six I, baths, and right? I did that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and it, and it helped. And then like, you know, and then all the, the stuff I have done since with, you know, my, the lit stuff has, it, they, it's never come back. Thank goodness. But I know just, I just wanted to mention for people, it might not just be in the vaginal area. It might be all the way back. Um, I think hemorrhoids are pretty common after um, delivery, especially that first one where you might be pushing for longer and not always as coordinated pushing too, like overly pushing or whatever. So you're pushing down. And that was one of the things I remember somebody said, push like you're trying to push a poop out. And that's, (laughs) that's probably what happened (laughs) as I overdid that. Okay. So moving on to sexual stuff, Mm -hmm. Uh, can you, Ashley, talk a little bit about what are some common things? Because Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for people to know that um, sex does should not hurt you. Oh, right. yeah. It's an ADL. It's an activity of daily living. A-N-L. A-N-L. Activity of nightly living, too. Nightly living. I mean... Well, I guess my, my husband would like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Any time of day. So, you know, it's really interesting. And I think one of the biggest things I love talking about with people is sexual health and functioning because in the U.S., and I can really only speak to here because that's where I live, um, I know I didn't get a big education um, when I was growing up about it. I remember the health class was, um, and this is not a dig, it's just an observation, um, was taught by the football coach. So yeah, and we didn't really learn about anatomy. You know, we learned about abstinence. We didn't really learn about any type of sexual functioning. So, you know, I was in the dark, like going into college and I knew a lot of my friends were too. And I think one of the biggest things that we can do as pelvic PTs is educate from a very objective standpoint about pelvic anatomy and the sexual response cycle, and that it is very complex, and that there are these roles of both the parasympathetic rest and digest part of the nervous system, as well as the sympathetic that leads to coordinated sexual functioning. And that can be a deficit from that level. It could be a deficit or a dysfunction in how the muscle responds, um, as well as Things that have um, any type of like surgical trauma, radiation from cancer, um, radiation from breast cancer can affect the tissues too. Hysterectomy, that all these tissues that are so androgen receptive 
have so much potential for things to go wrong. And it's almost this cascade of things go wrong, things don't feel good. And then partners start to say, oh, is it me? Am I attracted to my partner? When really it just comes down to physiology. And I think that's the most freeing things when we're being freeing thing is that when we're being bombarded with honestly all this crap, it's like, oh, well, you don't love your partner enough. Oh, drink a glass of wine and all this stuff that just belittles sexual functioning and health that if you have the knowledge, you have the tools, you can avoid all that shame and difficult conversation. Um, you, you mentioned just before, you know, discomfort. And I, I would say that no discomfort is normal during sex. Absolutely not. And that supplemental lubrication is not just for people who are postmenopausal. And that lubrication can happen at different times in the sexual response cycle. And people should just use it. Use a water-based lubricant. Use one that's pH-friendly. If it warms, if it cools, don't put it up there. It doesn't belong. Okay, we don't want any irritants. And I think that that also comes from the fact that the sexual health industry is just vastly unregulated and people can make things and put it on shelves and it isn't necessarily good for your body. And there's a lot of dialogue surrounding that. But I I have people of all pelvises, of all genders, we come in and we talk about sexual health um, of all ages and just what it what it means to go through that response cycle that it's not normal to have pain with penetrative sex, that um, it's not normal to have pain inside, outside, dryness that can be solved. I mean, that moisture is important, but we don't want to disrupt the pH. There is so much to talk about, right? And I think when it comes down to my general rule is that keep good hygiene, doing less is more. You know, people often call the vagina the self-cleaning oven. I don't love the visual, but I mean, I'm here for don't don't think that you have to wash something that is already so balanced and, um, you know, has a homeostasis in our body. And don't feel afraid to have conversations with yourself, with partner and explore your sexuality because only 30% of people um, that have female anatomy can have an orgasm with penetrative sex. That's very low. <laughs> yeah, we could probably have a whole podcast about that. Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people would like to hear yeah, about that. Yeah, I'm sure that. they would. It's just something I'm people sure. don't talk yeah, about. That's, true. that's where you and get so little sometimes and, yeah. It's reassuring to have like, yeah, let's actually talk about it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. I think we take for granted too, just as being like pelvic health, you know, PTs, like mm -hmm. people are always like, is this too much information? I was like, no, not at all. I mean, you know, we're talking, I'm talking about pee, poop and sex all the time. Uh, so right. exactly. Um, I know. And that's, it needs to be normalized. I mean, this is our body and yeah. we live with our body and we should know it. It should not be a foreign object that we, you know, treat as, um, as, as fragile or as strange. It's mm -hmm. just, it's part of our body. So getting back to possible pain, um, if people are, I don't want to say tense, but their parasympathetic nervous system is heightened. So for everybody listening, most of most of you have heard me talk about this, but um, I'm sorry, if their sympathetic nervous system is heightened, that's that fight or flight or freeze or fawn. And, and that can, it does translate into your pelvic region. So um, if somebody is feeling super tense, what are some things that you recommend, whether it's before have you know before having sex or intercourse or just in general? Um, I know this will lead us into many other things because people are walking around with a lot of, yeah, like a, a lot of gripping, a lot of tension. So, what are some things that you would recommend, and then we can get into how that's going to translate into movement and function? Sure. So, I think first and foremost. Um, 
do what makes you feel comfortable in your body. One of the biggest things, and I see this with people who are young, I see this with people who are older, is that we're all sucking it in. We're all gripping in our belly. We're all trying to look a certain way. And I think that that is something that is so multifactorial and you might not get there on your own and it might unpack things that are uncomfortable to think about. But I think knowing, feeling comfortable with yourself and feeling comfortable in your body, exploring movement, exploring mental health professionals, maybe even type of somatic therapy so that you take your body and your brain and you put it in a place where you can exist with yourself is going to translate to being able to access this rest and digest part of your nervous system even better. From a um, tactile perspective, something that Becky and I love to do is the vagus nerve stimulation techniques. And vagus nerve is the 10th cranial nerve. It exits from behind the ear. We often clench our jaw. We often, I mean, listen, I have two retainers and a night guard. Like I am clenching forever, right? (laughs) But it, you know, massaging the face working on your tongue posture, like getting the lymph fluid to move out of your face, doing self-massage, doing abdominal massage, ILU, colon massage to kind of get the belly to decrease its gripping, using vibration, sound, that 400 hertz. Hey, there's something to that. The body responds to vibration. And we can literally segue ourselves from a heightened state into a parasympathetic state. Here's another fun cocktail fact. I love these because you're going to go out and you're going to tell people this and people absolutely love these. Average female anatomy, 13, I think, 0.4 minutes to orgasm, male, three to five. So you got to go through parasympathetic a lot more. And it's not just in that moment that you're engaging in sexual activity. It's also where you carry yourself day to day and also having that frank conversation with your partner. Um, if you if you both have di- uh, different anatomy that, you know, one is different. It needs a little bit di- like health equity, sex equity. You need something different than the other person. Um, but you know, what are some vagus nerve stimulation techniques that you like, Becky? I mean, there's a, a lot. And, and you know, I, I love the idea because it basically is like, you know, what can we do with that? Like a light switch, you know, how can we switch out of that fight flight into more of that rest, digest, relax and heal? So breathing. I think that's the one thing we all have to do to live, right? We breathe 22,000 times a day. So thinking about like, you know, how are we breathing? What are some different ways to do lots of breathing techniques? I know yoga here, like pranayama, all kinds of different, Nadi Shodhana, am I saying that right? Yeah, different breathing techniques. But, you know, the thought behind that is, okay, so we're stimulating basically that vagus nerve through the diaphragm connection, right? And so we're getting that nice movement into the lower rib cage. I think that's a huge thing. It's just sometimes taking a few moments to do either a few minutes of a different uh, breathing technique, a diaphragmatic breathing technique, that can be great. But anything where you are massaging in kind of the head, neck, throat area is certainly going to get a lot of that vagal nerve activation, vibration can be wonderful. So different vibrational type of tools can be great through kind of right behind that jaw underneath that ear area um, where we know that vagus nerve is exiting through. That can be great. Even some sternal vibration too can be wonderful. So that's that, that, that breastbone area, all of that. So lots and lots of different techniques in order to learn that. But certainly things in the throat, neck, gargling, singing, 
you know, go sit in your car when you're by yourself, you know, turn on the music and like just jam, you know, right? And just singing and stuff like that can be wonderful um, for helping just kind of get into a little bit of that. But breathing is one of the things that I absolutely um, love. It's so important. I think some people don't, they take it for granted a little bit in the sense of like, what's moving? How are they breathing? Um, Maybe you've been taught a certain way to do it. Um, and then being able to kind of go to different different ways to, to learn to breathe. Um, well, yes, we talk about breathing a lot. And so I want to talk about that. But before we launch into that, Ashley, you, you mentioned gripping. And I think this is a good place to really distinguish between gripping and activating because people think it, everything's very binary. It's like you're either gripping or you're not gripping. And so activation is often... Um, synonymous with gripping when in fact it's not. And so when we talk about it, whether it's the pelvic in the pelvic floor region, whether it's in the abdominals, and then we'll get into your low press of stuff, but how important it is to distinguish that and how that is actually, you know, a high motor function dis- um, distinction. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that um, just quick segue I've been doing. I've known Laura for over a decade, which is insane. Yes. Ashley is a lit yoga teacher, (laughs) (laughs) which is insane. Yes. I'm a lit yoga devotee. I've been doing it for a very long time. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things I was, I always struggled with was in the core reset. Um, like I always had trouble finding that scooping, what instead of using, for example, I'll get into anatomy a little bit, my external oblique to stabilize me. And so as a pelvic PT, I know people are using that external oblique a little bit too much because we'll see the ribs compress and we'll see the low belly kind of like dome up. We'll also see if they're utilizing that superficial musculature a little bit too much without the inherent stability of the deep core that they might get some coning. So that's what Becky talked with that DRA, that diastasis recti. Both are abnormal and to me point to a little bit of gripping. When we breathe, we are getting the abdominal contents to lift. We're getting the abdominal musculature to contract just by nature of exhalation. And one thing that, you know, I inherently knew, but Becky gave me the tools when I met her was she kept saying, grow, grow, grow. And what she was referring to was axial lengthening. And I find that to be one of the most powerful cues when it comes to getting that engagement of the lower abdominals and that lengthening in the tailbone rather than just, oh, got to hold it, got to stand up tall, got to gotta look thin, got to do all this, all this crap that, you know, society tells us to do. Um, and I think that placing one hand on your head and thinking about lifting up, getting tall, pulling up from the hairline helps to stack the ribs over the pelvis to get that abdominal engagement. You don't need more than that. You really don't. But what we often find in dynamic exercise and movement is that people lose that. In squats, they lose it. The neck is craning forward, so they might try to grip a little bit more, you know? And it's like, if you come back to that oppositional force of grounding down through the heels and lengthening through the crown of the head, it's going to happen. Do less, less is more. It happens more reflexively in a way than you have to say, oh my God, I need to pull in here and do this. It's like no place for that. It's going to create more dysfunction than it's worth. Yeah, this reminds me, and I'd love your opinion about this. Um, I wish I had the video, but this woman sent me, she she said anytime she got to about 45 degrees of knee flexion, she was feeling pain. And I said, it's really going to be best if you send a video because 
I need to see what's happening. And this is really important. When you have pain somewhere, it is often not the, we say this a lot, it is not the actual spot. So I knew it wasn't her knees. Maybe she's gotten some grinding, some patellofemoral stuff going, but that is not where the problem is. And so sure enough, she sent me a video and I'm looking at it. And I think when you're PT long enough or a movement specialist, you just see this from an energetic standpoint. And so what I saw is she, as she would fold over, she would fold from her pelvis. She she would kind of hinge, not hinge at the hip. She would kind of tip the pelvis and then round the back. And that is not the movement that's creating the um, pain in her knee. But by seeing that, what I what I could see is this is where she's leading. This is where she's leaking. And this is where she's shortening. And, it, and if I just saw her in standing from the side. And it literally looks like her energy is going right down into her pelvis. So, and so when I'm going to, when I'm going to get back to her about her knees, what I'm going to say is what exactly you said, don't think about your knees. You need to focus on what's happening above it because essentially that energy of going down into the pelvis kind of is going forward into the knees with any kind of flexion and that whole feeling of lifting, lifting. And you don't have to think like, okay, pull the belly back, do this to lengthen all of this collaboration. It's like that lifting of the elevator up the spine to make you longer. It's going to take that pressure of, of that's going down into her knees with, you know, when she's going down the stairs or things like that, you can imagine it's just loading them more. So can you talk, I know Becky's in, this is like your, your passion. <laughs> you love to, um, can you tell us about the kind of work you do to help people with this for movement, for function, for lifting weights. Um, Yes, tell Mm -hmm. us all about it. Yeah, so I got into learning this movement system, we're going to call it that, low pressure fitness, all right? So a little bit of my story with that is is right around 2016, um, a couple things were going on at the time. I There was this opportunity to try this course called, and, and generically it was called hypopressives. That word means low pressure. So it was basically was called that. And I was like, well, what, what is that? And so I had heard it was kind of used for, marketed for a lot for essentially pressure management issues. And, and why we think about that from almost what you're saying from a very functional standpoint is I think about your core canister, you know, and where and how we're managing pressure within that that area. And so often pressure will go sometimes to the path of least resistance. And so if we've got a weak abdominal or maybe the diastasis recti you're coning, do is it a, creating a hernia in the abdominal wall? Is it going downward through the pelvic floor, putting pressure maybe on the bladder um, and how it's just setting up the whole, you know, musculoskeletal system and all of that. And so there was this opportunity to learn about this. I had heard it was great for pelvic organ prolapse. And I was like, okay, let me learn about anything that I can to kind of help my patients. And I went to the course, learned all that, and it was it was amazing. And I mean, it is it's a it's a full movement system. So what that kind of means, just like yoga is a movement system, lit's a movement system, right? Um, Pilates is a movement system. It's really focused a lot on uh, postural re-education, kind of breathing, 
re-education or respiratory training and coordination, this idea of low pressure. So how can we strengthen these very deep system muscles? That's kind of what we call it, is those deep, deep core muscles, those deep system muscles, the transverse abdominis, the pelvic floor is included in that, the diaphragm. How can we do that while we were being mindful of pressure? So at the time this was being developed, so we're going all the way back to like 2000, early 2000s being developed, um, you know, a lot of how we strengthened our core was crunches, right? Sit-ups, that kind of thing. So how can we be mindful of those people that were vulnerable with pressure management or how they were managing pressure and be able to work on strengthening while we put this together in this tangible, comprehensive, full-body system? And that's essentially what low-pressure fitness is. So it takes concepts of postural training, concepts of myofascial release and strengthening, concepts of uh, biotensegrity, like how we're translating those forces within that fascial system, and then concepts of neurodynamic control, and then hypopressives. So it was, it's built a lot on um, breathing, focus and the devotion to the diaphragm, and all of that. So we do rest breathing with it. We do techniques that you would know from yoga, Uddiyata Bandha, that idea of we exhale the air, hold the breath, create this abdominal vacuum suction. So with all of that, you know, I learned this, went to this course for level one, which are the basic fundamentals. I walked away going, oh my God, this is amazing. I feel so different in my body. Well, part of that story, my personal story with it is about eight months before that, I had had a, an unexpected hysterectomy. So lost my uterus. Um, I had had prior to the year before a myomectomy, which means I had a fibroid removed out of my uterus. So I had two surgeries back to back and how they had such an influence on how my abdomen was coordinating, what was going on with my breathing, that over that time of me recovering, now I'm a pelvic PT, so I knew what exercises to do. I knew what range of motion to do, but I was still really struggling. And so guess where I was starting to have the pain? In my neck. And just weird areas of having pain. Then I'm like, well, I had the surgery here. So talking about a referral of, of pain and things like that, my neck was taking the brunt of it, but my nervous system was taking the brunt of it too. So I, this was not something I had planned or wanted to do. Um, so it was very unexpected, you know, and my nervous system was just angry with me. My whole body was just jacked up. And so I'm, I'm operating now in Paris in sympathetic mode all the time. And my body was just doing things that I couldn't control. I was going to a chiropractor thinking, oh my God, something's wrong with my neck. I'm doing everything that I possibly can. And so I truly thank this, that weekend of really just like resetting with the breath, tapping in with my nervous system, my favorite cue in that low pressure fitness system, that axial elongation, and just being able to stack my body, helping my nervous system come back to more of that idled down position. And that's what made such a huge, and so I think that's why I become so, I get goosebumps talking about it. I become so passionate about it is because it made such a personal impact. And now I have this tool to be able to help so many people who might be recovering from surgery, who are gripping their 
um, external oblique, so that top part of the abdomen, and they're pulling down so hard that they're pressurizing downward. And how then that's a changing the orientation of their thoracic spine in relation. And you can kind of see then this cascading effect. So it's like being able to then now have these tools to be able to, to help and use and utilize um, with it. And that's what I love so much about, you know, the LPF and I think how much it has kind of helped with that and really the idea of, of how do we train our diaphragm? You know, we train it through breathing, right? We can train it through additional muscles, but how important that is to really be able to target into that. And I feel like the system really does that beautifully too with it. Well, it sounds a lot like our lit reset. Yeah. So I'm going <laughs> to let Ashley talk a little bit because I obviously know why I developed the reset, which was based a lot on just understanding that people are going to come to the mat with already existing imbalances. They're whether it was from that day or whether it was from decades, and that they needed an opportunity to reestablish all of these things. Neutral spine, better posture, so that there would be improved neuromuscular activation where we can actually begin to rewire our habits before you start doing bigger movement patterns like a typical vinyasa class would, where you just come in and start moving and you're just gonna go in the path of least resistance to your habits. So can you um, bridge those two together, mm -hmm. like why the reset is so important for pelvic health and breathing mm -hmm. and et cetera? Okay, there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> I'm excited, no, I'm excited. So I'm going to try not to be exhausted about this. It's very hard. I tend to get very long-winded for both, so I apologize in advance. But so, I've been lit for a decade, right? I've been teaching lit. I retook the course recently with you just to kind of audit it and, you know, refresh because learning is power. Um, then right after that, I moved to Princeton, uh, started pelvic health at Active, uh, where I work, ActiCore, eh, whatever. Um, and then <laughs> I met Becky. Um, it's all public information. I know. I don't even know, know what I'm doing. We can Google you. Uh, you can Google where me. You are. Exactly. Listen. Can we not talk about that? No, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. We work in Princeton at ActiCore. Yes, I know. Yes, ActiCore. Physical therapy and performance yes, in Princeton. Yes, there you go. <laughs> That's where you can find us. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm just so like, I'm always like, oh, like what information? Anyway, right. but so I met Becky and Becky's like, no, you, you have to do this type of process. You have to do it. And she teaches it to me. And, and um, I, I sit down with her and we have this heart to heart. And I'm like, Becky, like, I don't know if I could do this. Like, whew, this is bringing up like a lot of emotions. And like, personally, I do have a history with like a restrictive eating disorder. And I was like, I didn't realize how much I was holding in my belly. And at first, like I remember Becky and I, we were just having this hard heart and I was like getting emotional. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know if I could do this. And she's like, yeah, but it's like, it's really important. There's like a lot of good research and you know, she didn't pressure me, but I was like, okay, I have some shit to work on. Sounded like I was pressuring you. No, no. Yeah. You, were, you were giving it to me straight, which I always appreciate. No. no and so I, just yeah. for everybody Go listening, on. if they're not sure, like what yeah. about it? Was it the pull, like the deep abdominals that yes. made you? And this is a, this is the reason I'm bringing up is this is a very distinct difference between yes. sucking in because you're trying to get an aesthetic versus right. the actual, the actual exactly. technique of it. Exactly. To support your axial 
spot, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to support the low back. And from a yoga perspective, let's think about solar plexus. Let's think about root chakra. It's our place of safety. Yes. And we're mobilizing that and doing the hypopressive. And I remember in the beginning, I would feel burning, like burning in my abdomen, like something was moving. And we later found out it was my, I, my fascia just like was not moving enough. I was holding, I was gripping there. I was like feeling safe by holding really tight. And I felt bad, but I knew it had to be mobilized. Like the more that I did it, the I worked through it. And then came the I my background initially is um, in social psychology, and then I went to PT school. So I've always been fascinated just by um, people and the brain and like how we interact with each other and information. And Becky was talking to me about how all the poses are based on these archetypes and how it goes back to Carl Jung's personality theory and they're all goddesses and that sometimes it's what you need the most that that goddess evokes. Sometimes it's what you don't have. And she pinpointed, she read me like a book from like the first day. She was like, Athena. And I was like, okay. And Athena is the goddess of wisdom, powerful, like war of women. And I was like, this feels good. And I started doing it. I started doing it every day. And I just did Athena. I was just trying to do it. And I'm like, I'm going to freaking do this. I can do it. I'm strong. I got this. And I would work on my belly and I would do it. And I would do it over and over and over until one day I literally felt different. And I was like, I feel happy doing this. This feels good. My belly is moving. I don't feel, I feel tall. I feel empowered. And I started getting really into it. And then I started fusing lit with hypopressives. And I started to look at what we do and say, where where do I see my clients most misstep? Usually they're crying. Like the biggest thing I would say, Laura, is like the, the in the core reset with the head and the neck, mm-hmm. right? And it's like that excessive lower cervical flexion and that um, doming down the abdomen. Let's cue axial lengthening. Let's bring in the principles of those goddesses and put them in with the warrior sequence, right? Because that is just like synonymous with um, like power, strength, moving against gravity with fortitude. And I found that doing the myofascial work that's a part of hypopress- um, low pressure fitness and hypopressives, getting the belly ready, getting the neurosystem ready was just the way I preferred to kind of segue into my yoga practice to feel more aligned, to feel more empowered. And it changed, it changed my life. And now I'm trying to, you know, marry the two. And that's why I was like, we all got to get together and talk about it. Cause it was just such a beautiful revelation. And, you know, I think we all have this movement inside of us and it just both techniques put in a very digestible package, like the movement system, the movement pattern, and then the emotional. And I just saw this huge like connection to like trauma-informed movement and being able to help people feel like good in their bodies. So yeah, that's how. interesting. With the core work we do in yes. the reset, I've had numerous people over the years be like, I felt angry or I felt yeah. sad or I felt all that stuff. And I was like, that's okay. That's something that really needed to be felt and needed to be, literally, it's like it was kind of unlocked. Yes, we hold those emotions exactly in our physical being, you know, so the brain often as a protective mechanism, you know, it walls it off and shuts it. It's not in that forefront, but the body will often hold it. And so when you're really 
tapping into these deep, deep connections, you know, with it and just that the, the deep core of our, our existence, really. And, and you're mobilizing through that area. And as you said, all, I don't know the chakras really well, but, you know, just this mid upper abdomen section right there, it is so solar plexus, it is so, you know, or the, all the ganglion there for the mesenteric and the celiac and all of that interesting nerve connection. You know, this is a very emotional aspect of our body. So when we tap into an area that has been very guarded and very, you know, grippy in many ways, and then we now bring in that ability to release it, that ability to, um, it, it can stir up lots of different emotions. I guess that's almost where that whole myofascial unwinding yes, comes from, absolutely. from, from that aspect of like the John Barnes and things mm -hmm. like that. So, so fascinating you, um, to me. Can you, so for people, I'm sure they're like, what is hyper, what are hyperpressives? Can you articulate what, what are hyperpressives? Yeah. And how, do, how would you utilize them in exercise or, or function? Yeah. So the word means low pressure, right? Mm -hmm. So there are really a lot of ways that we can achieve low pressure in our body. The, the particular way that one of the ways that we do it um, is through the breathing. You know, it's through allowing movement into the diaphragm. It's through creating the abdominal vacuum technique. That technique is also known by many other names. It could be Uddiyata Bandha for some that practice yoga and understand that. It could be a diaphragmatic aspiration technique. It could be... Um, apnea rib cage opening technique some people call it the false breath it's almost like you're creating you're exhaling your air so your diaphragm is already in an elevated position you close the nose mouth and throat so you don't let air flow in and you utilize the movement of the rib cage opening essentially creating almost like a plungering and a suctioning effect really is what's almost happening so we're almost eccentrically lengthening the diaphragm and it creates this very signature look of this hollowing right through that upper abdomen into underneath that rib cage area so that's one way is, is literally changing pressure and so we, we look at studies being able to, to look at that intra-abdominal, intra-pelvic pressure change there. Um, we can, you know, also think about how it's changing grippiness within the abdomen. So if we're gripping a lot into our abdomen, we're almost creating like a vice-like grip increasing pressure in many ways. So how we can do that is learn to distribute that pressure. Posturing, how we posture in our position in space is going to change pressure too as well. So what's the difference between standing upright with full gravity and load on our pelvis versus maybe a quadruped position or Help me out with the name, Ashley. Dolphin. Uh, dolphin. Thank you. I was going to say Maya. Like I was say Maya or Isis. You know, oh, those yes. positions where the pelvis is higher yes, than yes. the diaphragm. That's changing then pressure, certainly through the lower abdomen and the pelvic floor. And that's a really good position to get that, that hollowing yeah. feeling that is so amazing. Yes. It just feels like there's so much space in my back when yep. I do that mm -hmm. and, and space around the pelvis. Exactly. So standing versus lying. All those are different ways to create hypopressive. So, so low pressure fitness then is that system of saying, we're going to take that breath pattern, the, um, the rest breathing with the apnea, the abdominal vacuum technique, put it into different poses that encompass our body in different positions in space. And then the idea of the axial lengthening. And 
and that we're utilizing in many ways very reflexively the the fascial system, the myofascial system, the idea of just that stretch and recoil of those soft tissue structures to essentially decompress. So ways in which we're learning to decompress. So hypopressives, again, means very generic. Let's reduce pressure. But then, and people know it by signature, the, the abdominal vacuum technique, the diaphragm vacuum technique, whatever we want to call it, right? All, all the synonymous names. And then low pressure fitness is going just beyond that, where we're taking that component of it, but we're also adding it into posture. And those postures go from very stationary and static, like level one would be learning that, learning to integrate that, just like you have with lit, right? You have different levels where you got to start somewhere, got to start, you know, learning that. And then it goes to very dynamic. And then from there, we add movements into the spine. So not only spine in neutral, but now we can't live life in neutral. We have to be able to bend. We have to be able to extend. We have to be able to twist our spine. So as we get understanding and get more control of our body from the neuromuscular aspect, then we can start to progress it um, into doing uh, these, these type of movements in a very dynamic way. And so that's our level one, our level two, and our level three is much much more with even spiraling the arms. We know this as PTs with the upper limb tension test, the median nerve, the ulnar nerve, the radial nerve. So we work through the resilience of that neuromuscular aspect of our body, those nerves being able to slide and glide. And that's brought into our system too, as well. And we do the low pressure fitness. I love that. So, it sounds like in lit, we start, the reset is like the level one where you're, you are more, you're not moving a lot. You're just trying to reestablish it neuromuscularly. And then we use that. I, I use it like in lit world, it's more kind of retention, but it's the same idea where you're on empty, um, through transitions, because that's where people typically do lose their shit. As I like to say, you know, that's where like old habits come. It's like, however, I'm going to step that leg forward. I'm just going to do it. And then, but if you hold, if you get that, that training of like holding together while I'm lengthening and then being able to move the foot forward, yes, you're going to, a lot of people will still have uh, different tissue restrictions or responses, but if they do it enough over and over, then the brain is like, oh yeah, I can release that and allow that foot to come forward. You're training that movement pattern, exactly. exactly. You're giving it a new movement pattern in many ways. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about um, when people are leaking. Okay, so I'll have, you know, I'll have people who will do all my things, but they're like, oh, I can't do plyo. And, and the, usually the two reasons they give me plyo, um, I have arthritis, which I always tell them that's not the reason you shouldn't do it, right? Um, but you've probably been told not to do impact, just to do low impact. And then the other reason is I feel like I'm going to pee in my pants or leak or whatever. And so, th right. And then, so then, then it becomes neurological, psychological by all of it, because it's like, there's an anticipate, an anticip they're going to expect that if they start jumping, they're going to feel more guarded because they're expecting that. And then it just kind of is like this vicious cycle. But in fact, this is a very important quality of good pelvic health is the ability to have the resilience to bounce, to jump, you know, and yes, maybe it's not for a safety reason where we don't have to kind of jump out of the way always of something, but it's important for our tissues. It's important for our um, joy in life is to be able to feel like we can dance, spring, run, hop, be on the playground with our kids, be on the playground with our grandkids. So 
Can you speak a little bit about somebody who's experiencing that and is very nervous? Um, first of all, debunking why, like everybody should be able to do plyo. In my opinion, I, I I've had I've had stroke patients do plyo. Okay, so you know, so let's let's talk about um, debunking it and and how somebody could start to incorporate that. Sure. Um, I think the first thing to debunk is the notion, and this is an old notion, and I feel like, you know, it's like a game of telephone in healthcare where it's like it started as this idea and ended as this, and that is neither here nor there, where people became almost obsessed with pelvic floor squeezes and kegels and gripping the belly and contracting transversus abdominis. And what I would notice, what I still do notice when people are going to do the like plyo or move quickly, there's this anticipatory guarding. Whoop, I have to squeeze with all my might. But the problem is, and Becky knows this too, Some we don't know exactly what they're doing. Are they squeezing and lifting? Are they bulging down? Is there a ton of restriction and that muscle cannot generate force? The possibilities are endless, right? And knowing that the symptom of leakage is not socking, it's not pelvic floor weakness and that's like overactive, underactive. It's a lack of coordination of the diaphragms and something is going on with posture and force transfer throughout the body. Now that is super jargony. I apologize. Basically, shit's not holding together in how it needs to do it and it's not coordinated. And I think people used to think like, oh, I leak because I'm weak in my pelvic floor. Right. So then that translated to well, how am I going to get stronger? But what's the well-known thing that people do named after Dr. Arnold Kegel? You know, Kegels mm -hmm. basically is like, well, just keep doing squeezing. But it's not just about squeezing. Mm -hmm. It is about, as Ashley said, that coordination of a pelvic floor is a diaphragm, right? Everything's got to be able to you know, it's like a trampoline in many ways. It has to be able to also lengthen to accept that. It's like trying to catch a ball. We all catch a ball. We put our hand out. The ball kind of comes into our hand. We cradle it a little bit. We decelerate it a little bit. We don't catch a ball with our hands like real stiff and extended out. The ball just bounces right off of it, right? right. So that's essentially almost like that pelvic floor has to, you know, it has to be able to move. It has to be able to do that. And we have ways that we train around that, right? Or ways that we can help get that coordination. We can get that breathing a little bit better. We can change the way or when that timing happens with certain things to kind of coordinate that ability to be able to handle that dynamic force, right. you know, when we jump, you know, when we do all of that stuff. Yeah. And I think one thing that we've all said a lot of is this coordination. And so when we talk about not like isolating a specific muscle, whether it's around the urethra, like with Kegels or around just the TBA, like it's a coordination of a collaborative work. Like I say, I often use the example of like, you want all the players to show up to play, you know, play a basketball it's a game. Team. Or yes, it's a team. It's and a if team. somebody's slacking off, everybody else has to pick up more work and they're mm -hmm. going to eventually get grouchy about it. And so it is really important that we think about this as a collaboration. It's not like an isolated muscle. And all of that is based intrinsically on your, your skeletal system and your alignment. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that because there are a lot of people who don't realize like their daily life, how they're sitting, how they're standing, um, and some people even here, maybe posture doesn't really matter, but why is posture so impactful for this 
ability for all of the different muscles to come into play as a, you know, as a group. Right. I mean, everything that supports the trunk is core. You know, in lit, we call it the conduit of renewable energy, which I absolutely adore. And it's how the head, the skull is stacked over the rib cage, is stacked over the pelvis that allows the transmittance of forces and everything to stabilize well. So absolutely right. It's not reductive in, oh, what's your pelvic floor strength? Three out of five? Okay. It doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter in this way. It's how do you move through space and what is that coordination? So if you go and you're taking the L train every day and you're pinching your your glutes, because you're sitting in that pensation and God knows when they last clean them, you're probably going to go into your yoga practice a little bit gripping. Glutes probably substituting for pelvic floor. You've been on the phone all day. Your jaw is probably tense. You know, is are you going to be adaptable? Probably not. Probably need to come back to do some self-myofascial work. Check in. Are you able to do deep breathing? Some self-massage of the jaw. It's like you said, it's the team. Everybody needs to work together. And unfortunately, unfortunately, the body is a little too smart. I always say in that it's not like a car where you get a flat tire on the side of the road. Okay. And then you change the tire. If your transverse abdominis and your pelvic floor are not working together, the says, oh, that's fine, Ashley. We have these, listen, we got these giant paraspinal muscles. They're fabulous. They're going to work for you all the time. And then the paraspinals get burnt out and then you'll have neck pain. And then you have all the sequela, the consequences of that in these dysfunctional movement patterns. And people wind up chasing low back pain, chasing pain. And it's like, wait a minute. I always feel like that, you know, crazy conspiracy person with like all the lines on the map. And it's like, well, this one to this one to this, because we are a unit. Like there is nothing that works in isolation in the body. Everything is interdependent on one another. So what's going on at your ankle that you sprained, you know, at that soccer game is probably going to affect you years down the road. And it's not that we need to get caught up or micromanage our body, but we just need to be aware and holistic and knowledgeable about where we are in space and carry that through as much of the day as we can. So... Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to know, too, for people like, okay, do I need to stay in this exact posture? You know, all and posture is dynamic, right? And, and posture and your body's got to respond to the task at hand in many ways. You know, I, I think you're better off than saying, okay, I need to sit really rigid for X amount of time, but allowing your body to go through different movements. But it can then reintegrate itself when it needs to. You know, it can stack up. It can, like a Jenga tower, you know, if, if we lean it so much, you know, it's eventually going to kind of, you know, fall, <laughs> you know, not that you're going to fall apart in your body, but that's where a lot of these comp compensations, right, come from um, with, uh, with that stuff. So I think that's kind of important for people to understand, too, is, is, is we have to be able to be dynamic with, with posture. Yeah, and exactly, exactly. I, you're not going to stand, sit, or move like, uh, you know. The tin uh, man. Tin man. <laughs> man. Absolutely <laughs> not. But it's the ability for your brain to recognize yes. what is that new when you say Jenga, I always say those because that's a really nice way of, of letting people know like why that neutral spine is so important because when the joints are stacked, when the bones are stacked most optimally, they are going to have the greatest amount of surface area and that's, a, that's how you balance, you know, versus when you start to, you know, get that leaning tower, that's essentially the energy exchange through that is also not great. So it's not just like you lose your balance, but you lose your energy. You know, have you, I mean, we've all sat, like I often will say, you sit in an airplane for three hours 
and you're exhausted. You've done absolutely nothing except sit, but it's really tiring on the body energetically. A, it's not moving. You're not moving your lymphatic system. You're not getting, you know, your heart pumping. You're probably not breathing that well, but you also probably the energy exchange through your joints is probably not as good either. So and the psychological mood too, yes. because we all know yes. we take it into power posing, right? Mm-hmm. We all know if we're going to sit all slumped and compressed, there's certain moods that are associated with that, you know, Absolutely. in negative ways, those negative kind of depressive anxiety, fear, all of those versus when, and they've done studies, yeah. right? You know, yeah. like oh, yeah. when we are in that, you know, Wonder Woman pose, when we say Venus and Athena, those are very power posed positions, how that just ignites that whole um, psychological change in you. Um, so there is such that connection with the whole biopsychosocial aspect of, of posturing too yes. with it. Yeah, and, and I always the, say posture is not just your bones, it's the carriage of your yeah. energy, of your feelings, exactly. of your emotions, of your history. So we want it to be as balanced and light and empowered as possible. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love, I could talk to you all for hours, but let's close just with any kind of, um, I would say, you know, final, whether it's a quote or some kind of um, mantra to live by, whether you live by it or what you suggest to your clients in terms of self-care, wellness, overall being, obviously the pelvis, pelvis is part of it. It's the center of our body. It connects our lower limbs to our torso and our upper limbs. It's but just overall, what are some things when people are like, I really want to start taking better care of my body? Um, any thoughts on suggestions, mm-hmm. tips? Mm-hmm. Um, two quotes for y'all, um, and I say these to myself all the time, is that you come first, right? It's like, this is so cliche, but when you're on the plane, they're like, make sure you take care of yourself before taking care of your children and put the mask on them. That's right. Because at the end of the day, you have to be comfortable with yourself in order to show up for your job, show up for your for other people, to show up in your relationships. And my second would be to be unapologetically you, right? Trust me, no one is watching you that closely. <laughs> we could walk around naked and no one would freaking know, know, all right? And once you live authentically you and I I think that's it's an often overused word authentic but I think when you just live as as you feel you need to and just show up for yourself every day then I think you will not only feel good you will stand up straighter you will have more brain space to be able to take care of yourself and I think you know, self-care is such like a, it's a capitalist industry, but that's neither here nor there. I think that, you know, it could be just taking five minutes. I was, you know, who's talking about this? I was talking to Rana, a fabulous lit teacher, little promo for her about how she and I are taking time in the morning just to sit with our coffee. We don't look at the phone and we just breathe. And that's it. And then I read the Times Real Estate because, you know, I like the depression of it all. No, but... Um, <laughs> But, you know, I'm doing something for me that is just for me and not feeling guilty about it, right? I mean, we're told, I I can speak because I identify as a woman and I think there's a lot of shit that women are told, like, you know, you need to spend this much money or if you do this, you're a bad person or you're a bad mom or, you know, it's sexy, it's not, it's matronly. It's like, oh my God, shut up, tune it out. There is no one that matters except you and You have everything you need, but it might just be packed away because you couldn't deal with it until now. So my challenge for you is to make just maybe even like two minutes, you know, Atomic Habits. I love that book. Like start with something small and just approach it from a place where it's not going to stress you out. Just 
wash your face, listen to a song, wait to get out of your car to go to your job and breathe. If you're comfortable putting your hands on yourself, massage your belly, like give yourself some self-love. I, I think we all need more of that. And I know that if people are unapologetically themselves, I know they're going to be awesome. Like, there's so many amazing people and the, pe the people that I mean, who are like the most impressive, you guys are like that. So yeah, that's, I love that. I love that so much. And I think it's true. Like, I think if we could learn at an earlier age to pay less attention to what other people think or what people are telling us or what the media is telling us, um, and just really start to connect inwardly and listen to what brings us joy, what makes us feel lit up, what makes us, what's in alignment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You do you. That's right. <laughs> That's, that. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think just understanding, like, so, again, with self-care, you gave some great examples. It doesn't have to be, oh, gosh, you know, I have to dedicate, you know, 20 minutes to be able to do this, this long laundry list of all these things that I am supposed to be doing. You know, it's, it could be the smallest little things um, that I think could be great. I think novelty to the system, too, is also, Amen. you know, mm -hmm. great to kind of try something new, do yeah. something new. We're at the beginning of a new year, right? 2023, like try, and, and that could just be like this light switch to the nervous system. This just could be this like flame that kind of sparks, you know, it, into so many different things that can be, just be so wonderful for your, for your body and your nervous system. And so, you know, kind of taking away with, with that. And, and we do it all the time. And like, if you do it for your brain and you're like, wow, it just changes these patterns. It cha changes these, these things that we've gotten into this old rut. Um, we've gotten into these comp compensatory patterns and things like that. My other thing would just be from a clinical standpoint. Yeah, <laughs> you know? It's just more of, you know, people understanding. And we've talked, we talked a lot about the, the pelvic health right in the beginning. And that, you know, there's so many people out there still that are having pelvic health concerns, but maybe they don't even know their pelvic health mm. concerns, you know. Um, and, you know, if you are having, you know, unexpected leaking, if you're going to the bathroom a lot, your bladder is running your life. If you are straining to have a bowel movement, if you are feeling uncomfortable, things changing and shifting down in that perineal pelvic floor, rectal, vaginal area, if you're having um, any kind of pain through that region of your body, if if you've just had a baby, if you are having a baby, so we didn't get to talk too much about the whole prenatal world that pelvic health physical therapy has gone to, to help birth prep and things like that. I, I mean, part there's two. Part, two. part two, there's so many different <laughs> diagnoses that can be, there, there's providers out there is, is, is my, my big take, take home picture is that there are people out there to help you know, reach out to them. Um, don't feel like you've got to handle this on your own. So that could be a self-care thing. Mm. Everybody just saying, oh, this is something that I don't want to share. I'm ashamed of. There's lots of negative feelings associated with pelvic health concerns, but there are people out there to be, to help you that have trained. There is a whole world 
that is amazing in the technologies for, um, you know, physiologic, te technological things that we can do, like lasers and and uh, uh, electric electricity and things like that. I know that sounds scary, but <laughs> electricity <laughs> into your pelvic floor. Yeah. But so many different things, you know, and my whole world to opening up with red cord, you know, and just yeah. understanding how there's that change. Yes. And when we change our body, you know, into more of a gravity reduced, you know, position, there's so many different um, ways in which we can help and assist. So the big take home pictures don't feel like you've got to try to handle this on your own help, get some help. Absolutely. You know, that could be part of that whole self help is that this is going to be the year that I am going to talk with somebody about the leaking that I have been having since my child was born 25 years ago. Yeah. So whole different avenue of menopause and different times in our life where there's huge hormonal shifts that play such an impact on onto the pelvic region um, and the function in that area. But help. Yes, you know? I think you know. I think mental health and pelvic health are kind of the last frontiers. And I always say, like, if you broke your ankle or you were diagnosed with diabetes, you wouldn't just sit back and be like, oh, well, I have, you, you, you know, we, we have no problem going to a specialist for that. And it is exactly the same. It's another part of your unique body, brain, um, psycho-emotional. If you need help of any kind, it, you should never feel ashamed of it. And, and, and please don't delay on either one of those fronts for sure. And they are very um, interlinked, too. So... Um, I agree. There's there's a lot of women, I think, that have needlessly suffered for a lot of years because of the stigma around pelvic health. And I'm sure they're men too, but I, I think that women are more in the majority. And so, yes, both of you are such great beacons of um, light and being ambassadors for really taking care of the whole body. And this is part of it. And, and you can't just neglect it. So... Thank you so Thank much you. for being here. Can <laughs> Thank you, you for having us. Yes, tell, tell everybody where they can um, find out more about you personally, whether yes. it's Instagram or a website or anything. Okay. So we got a lot of avenues because who doesn't nowadays? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. we all have a TikTok and Instagram. Um, so <laughs> I don't have TikTok. You know, I, was, I was saying that. I'm like, well, yeah. I don't. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're in Princeton, New Jersey at Idacore, Becky and I. Um, we practice um, in a private pelvic health physical therapy clinic. Uh, our Instagram is activecoreprinceton underscore pelvic. And we are always trying to just post like little tidbits of information about pelvic health, some things that you can do at home and, you know, when to ask for help because I think the non, honestly, the nonverbal communication of Instagram is the best part of it is that you can kind of passively absorb all of this good information from sources if you do find them reliable. Um, so you can find us there. And my, my Instagram is Ashley Noon underscore DPT. And yeah, we're here. We welcome like, you know, any questions you can ask Laura on her podcast. You can DM us. Please do not be a stranger. That's what we're here for. Yeah, I think it's great. Definitely um, direct message them on Instagram if you have any questions. Yeah. I'm at Elevate Core Health. Um, and then if you want to know any information about the low pressure fitness training, um, the LPF USA distributor. So I run a lot of the professional courses that we have. And the amazing thing is I host them at Active Core. And are they um, for anyone, not just PTs? So exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it's really... Um, 
the whole realm of movement specialists, right? So whether it's the clinical realm, whether it's a fitness professional, maybe um, a personal trainer that is also wants to take in some information with this, yoga, uh, Pilates instructors, bodywork professionals. So it, it, they're welcome to it. So there is a theoretical component to it, the practical component to it. Um, level one, uh, level one, two, and three are their weekend courses, basically. If you are a uh, physical therapist in New Jersey, Jersey or PTA, I actually got CEU credits for them, which is is always great for that. So we do actually, we do a hybrid model of learning that one too. Uh, We're in person in Princeton, so I'm there. And then um, we also have virtual. So if you can't travel, because we know that that's sometimes a challenge, both, uh, you know, physically and financially to be able to do that. Um, I also have a co-instructor. Um, who teaches, and she's in UK, so she's in London. So we are have virtual students that join us. We have in-person students. So it's a really interesting way to kind of learn LPF, yeah. So elevatecorehealth.com is, is the website in which you can get more information and sign up for that. Um, or you can reach me at ActiveCore, too, as well. So Amazing. So we'll have that all in the show notes. Thank you both for your time and your Thank expertise you. and Thank your you. passionate energy. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. And for everyone who's listening as always i'm pulling for you mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market